Hello everyone, this episode of Boothcast is brought to you by the Booth Times by Kobe Range. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of like warm water and cold water gear to keep you feeling good, feeling fast and feeling fit on the water. Um, it's a joint collaboration between myself and Vicobi. So if you want to find out more, please check out vicobi.com forward slash booth collaboration. Or you can check out my website, michael-booth.com.au. Uh, we've got some great gear there, so please check it out. Now I'm going to throw you over to my interview with arguably the greatest Ironman of all time, Shannon Eckstein. Hello and welcome to Boothcast. On Boothcast, I speak to people who inspire me about sport, business and the winning mindset. Today's guest is none other than Shannon Eckstein. Shannon Eckstein, in my eyes, is the greatest Ironman of all time. He raced for 20 years. He's got nine Ironman series titles. He's got eight Australian titles, six world titles. He's got 42 Australian gold medals. Um, he basically has done everything that everybody wants to do in the sport of surf life saving. So very lucky to have a chat with him today. So Shannon, thanks for coming on. No worries, Boothy. Thanks for having me, mate. No worries. So um, can you give a, a listeners a bit of an idea of who you are and what you did and um, how it all started for you? Yeah, um, you know, obviously lucky enough to be to be born on the Gold Coast. So um, born in, you know, one of the, the, the best sort of coastal towns um, in the world, I think, for, for what, I, what I did. So um, I was lucky enough to be born here. Um, had parents who were, were very active in, in sport. Um, dad raced... Um, Surf life saving when he was younger, um, did cooling out of golds and things like that. And then mum and dad were into outrigging and all, all types of things to keep fit as I was growing up. So I was lucky enough to spend a lot of time um, at the beach or exercising and be brought up with that sort of lifestyle. Um, and that sort of got me into sort of nippers. Dad was a, um, a board coach at, um, at a few different surf clubs at Service Paradise when I was younger. So I, I got involved for a nippers and um, probably played a lot of sports until I was about 13, 14. And then when I was probably 15, 16, I said, well, Ironman's the one I really, really enjoyed and was passionate about and, you know, wanted to try and make a career out of it. Yeah. And when you were growing up, was there other sports that really took your fancy or was it always surf life saving in your eyes? Like when did you actually get involved in nippers? Was it, was it when you were a young kid or was it a bit later on? Yeah, a little bit later on. Um, I started under 12s. Um, so I spent a lot of time down the beach. Dad was a council lifeguard, um, but I never formally got into nippers till under 12s. Um, before that, I was just sort of mucking around at the beach and swimming and surfing and, and doing all things like that. Um, I, I was into running, sort of doing cross-country running, athletics running. I got a scholarship to the Southport School for senior school, so year eight, about 12, 13 years old. Um, so I was competing at national level, winning medals, um, at the Australian titles in track and field and cross country and also started developing my swimming as well through then, did a little bit of kayaking, um, soccer, rugby league um, at school and um, yeah, so all, all sorts of things. I think it's really important when you're young to, to be involved in different things because the skill sets that, you know, soccer or rugby league or team sports have, you pick up little things, little hand-eye coordination, some team aspects and fitness aspects and it all pays off when you choose to do something full-time when you're older. So I think that was really important for my upbringing to, to take part in all these different sports. Yeah, you obviously had a very good uh, repertoire of different sports there and you, you were very, very good at obviously winning Australian, Australian tack titles and that type of thing. But what was what sort of took you away from those sports and really brought you into surf life saving? Like when was, was there a moment in your junior ranks where you were like, okay, I really want to be an Ironman? Um, 
Not, not really. Like I, as I said, I joined in under twelves, um, and I won the state nipper Ironman title in under twelve. So it was, it was something that I, I took up and was good at straight away. And when you do other sports like rugby league, I, I could play rugby league or soccer, but I was never the best person on the on the park or or a stand yet. But I got to nippers and and something that came naturally to me and I developed a passion for it and it probably helps if you're winning um, you, you sort of enjoy it a bit more but so under 12s 13s I was winning and then 14s 15s I, I never grew till I was a little bit older so the bigger kids started winning a little bit more you know a lot about that when you you're, it is a big disadvantage when you're, you're a lot smaller than you know yeah. some kids uh, who are taller and, and, and even when you're an up. adult yeah. So when I was 14, 15, I wasn't necessarily winning, but I felt like I was working really, really hard. And that work ethic, when I started to grow, when I was 16, 17, really paid off. Yeah. So you were basically, once you started in the under 12s, did you start training hard then? Like, were you, were you straight into training? Like, were you training under your dad? Like, how was your, uh, I guess, your mindset at that point? Or were you just doing it to have fun? And then was there a point where you're like, okay, now I'm going to be, now I'm going to start competing. Now I'm going to start like really grinding it out and actually starting to target these different events that I, I see, I guess, the other guys were doing around you? Yeah, I think um, probably my dad as a coach was, you know, if you choose to do something, you, you're going to rip in and do it well and you're not going to miss sessions. You're not going to miss efforts. You, you're going to do it well. Otherwise, you know, don't, don't bother doing it. So that was the kind of the upbringing, that upbringing that I had was, you know, if I chose to do nippers and I was always training training hard on the board, I didn't really develop um, or go to swimming training full on until I was probably 14, 15. Before that, I was in some junior squads, but never, you know, five mornings a week. Um, so I think that helped me later on. I wasn't burnt out in terms of my swimming, but I just done enough to get by. And it was probably, um, I don't know, probably winning you know, under 16 swim and board of the Australian titles, you sort of, you know that you, if you really want to prepare hard and, and work hard, you, you've got a chance to be good at this sport and do it full time. And so probably under 16 is I decided that, you know, I want to go to carnivals around Australia and compete against the best guys and, um, and really try to make a career out of it. And what were the main carnivals at that time? Obviously you had the Australian titles, but there were there other like little series going on for the junior competitors at that, at, like when you were coming through probably around late nineties, I guess. Yeah. Look, the, the Maroochydore, that just jeans carnival, it's still going now as a, as a Murphy's Murphy's homes carnival. That's always a great carnival. Um, the Australia day weekend down at Manly Freshwater, they're still going around. So there was always the chance to, to travel and, and compete against the best guys. But, but in our sport, you know, you obviously got a professional series. That's the one that you watch on TV and you always want to be part of, get your name on your bum and, and race in that. So that was always something that, that I wanted to do. But then growing up on the Gold Coast, Carra had the Australian titles for whatever it was, 15 years. And I remember riding my bike there and watching those guys that you've seen on TV race and the atmosphere at the Aussies is, is like nothing else. It's, it's really unbelievable. So to be exposed to that as a kid, um, that's always the pinnacle of the sport for me. It was always get to the Aussies and, and try and win some gold medals there. So when you're going through and watching those, like um, those Ironman in the professional series, like were there any of the ones that were key to you that you were really looking up to that you were aspiring to be like? Obviously growing up in, in service paradise surf club, um, you know, I was there for a good decade of, of um, you know, when you, you want to learn and be exposed to the, the top guys. And we had, you know, Trevor Hendy and Carla Gilbert were the two biggest names in the sport and they were in, they were in the surf club there. But we also had the likes of Nathan Meyer, um, Phil Clayton, 
um, Brett Tyak, who I, I got to train with when I was about 15, 16, train with them every day through to when I was about 20, 21. So being exposed to those guys was, um, you know, great for training, but also when we went away and raced, you could see what they did. And um, they, they kind of enjoyed themselves when they're away as well, which sort of took the pressure off me where I, I knew that, you know, that it wasn't necessarily all the be all and end all of the sport. You can go away with these guys and they'd have a good time, but they also raced well. So that squad was a really good squad at the time for, for me to train with. So I think, you know, Trevor Hendy, Carly Gilbert, they're the two biggest names when I was growing up. So to have them in my surf club was a big bonus. Yeah, and obviously learning from them, seeing what they did before they raced, when they were racing, and obviously having a bit of good, good time afterwards and not taking it too seriously. But being around that environment, um, like you were there for 10 years, when did you start to, I know you won the, the junior and the senior state title when you were uh, under 18s, I think it was, and that was sort of a, a bit of a springboard to going forward. But did you ever compete in the Uncle Toby's? Yeah, um, so it was, I think, 2000, I won... Um, the junior and senior at the state title and then came second in the junior and senior at the Australian title. Um, and that year I, qual- I won the Uncle Toby's um, trial at Maloolaba and qualified for the series. So that was my last year of high school in year 12. So I remember, um, you know, I won the trial and then finished school and um, I did schoolies week. And then we had the first round at Coolangatta um, and it was a eliminator race. And I remember just throwing up um, in that race. I think I finished second last or something like that. But, um, you know, it was at that time of my career where I just finished school um, and, and I went to TSS. So it wasn't, you know, like it was a laid back school. It was quite, you know, hard academically there. And I really wanted to do well at school too. So there was a lot going on in my life. And to win a trial and then be exposed to the, the last year of the, the Uncle Toby series, we got to go down to Portsea. And um, I think that series, I was five races. I finished like 16th, 12th, 9th, and then third, third, the two rounds. So I improved throughout the year. Um, Finished third at Manly and then third in, you know, still to this day, probably the biggest surf I've been in down in Portsea, um, which was really cool. I think um, Phil Clayton won that. Stephen King came second. I came third and Brett Tight came fourth. And we were all training together on the, the Service Paradise squad with Trevor. So it was, it was really cool to be, um, you know, part of the last, last Super Series. Yeah, it must have been cool just to be a part of it. I think Kai won that year and it was sort of like finished up the series. Obviously, there was a lot of different things that happened around that period with the Olympics and the series finishing up. But this, the next year you go over and you win your first world title in, in California, Daytona Beach, I think it was. Um, what was it like to sort of step up? I know the world titles um, are obviously a big thing in the sport, but maybe not as, as, as highly lucrative as like the Toby series or the Nutrigrain or something like that. But as an 18, 19 year old going over and win that, winning that first title, was that a big stepping stone for you to sort of go, okay, maybe I can beat these guys? Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the trip away as well, um, you know, traveling to the States with Trevor, Nathan Meyer, Phil Clayton, all these guys. And then um, obviously winning the Ironman was a huge, huge thrill. It was pretty, um, you know, flat surfer over at Daytona. But when I won the Ironman, there was a little bit of a wave came up. So um, I, I beat a guy called Luke Richmond, I'm um, in a sprint finish um, to win my first World Ironman title. So, um, you know, that was a really, really cool experience. And I was, I was 18 years old when I did that. And, um, yeah, it probably gave me confidence to know I could get out of the junior ranks and, you know, match it with the, the open guys. And I remember about that trip. Um, you know, after the trip, we went back to LA with Trevor, um, Clado, and we were, we were waiting at LA airport for... Um, you know, Kelly Slater, because Trevor's good mates with him, to, 
to come and see him. And I remember sitting there and um, sitting with Trevor and Kelly comes up behind Trevor and puts his hands over his eyes and it's like, guess who? And I was just like, how, how cool is this? Sitting, sitting in LA with um, you know, Kelly Slater and Sonny Garcia. So as a young kid growing up, win the World Ironman title, go away to America with the legends of our sport. It's a pretty cool, cool thing. Yeah, it must have been incredible to sort of have that experience, but also winning, winning your first world title and you go on to win another five. But you also, that same year, you come back and you win your first Nutrient um, Ironman series. And that must have been quite a cool thing to obviously go from winning an individual race to coming back and backing yourself up through it throughout a series because that's something that you were probably the best at uh, for a very, very long time. I think you ended up winning nine series titles. What was it like, obviously, going from that one event format to now going, okay, now I'm going back into a series. I've had a strong back end of that Uncle Toby's the year before. Now I'm going to go out and try and win this series. Was that, was that really, did that win in, in uh, Daytona Beach really kickstart your competitive drive? Like, you obviously were competitive before, but you see a lot of athletes go from being pretty good to being able to win. Was that, was that a big key moment for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the key aspects that often gets overlooked for me was I, I was in the Uncle Toby's series. Um, the last two rounds, I finished third, third and ninth overall. So you got a top 10, got a contract for the following year. But, you know, lo and behold, the series folded. But we were still under contract um, for the following year and all the Kellogg spots had already gone. So I spent, you know, when I was 19, the year out of the professional series, not because I wasn't good enough, just because I was contracted to the previous series had to miss the Kellogg series. So I spent a year huh. sort of out of the professional series and that, that, you know, you get pretty dirty that you're, you're not racing the top guys. You want to be there. So that year off, I was still doing all the other carnivals, but that year off sort of propelled me to win the, the Kellogg series. And next year gave me that, that drive and determination to really dig deep for the, the following year. Yeah. That's really interesting. I didn't know that, but so did, did Kai, was Kai able to race in both series? Because it looks like he, he won 2001, 2002, yeah. and then you came Kai in one, 2002, 2003. How did the whole contract thing work? Yeah, Kai was um, pretty much the only one that stepped straight out of Uncle Toby's and into the Kellogg's. Um, everyone else was tied up that we, we couldn't do it. So um, I can't really remember the exact contracts, but um, he obviously got out of here somehow and, and got into the, the Kellogg series the following year. So that was... Um, you know, good for Kai, but so he might have won the first Kellogg series or Zane might have won it when it was just back to the one series. But um, that was 2002. And the following year, um, you know, I won the series in a, in a good battle with Zane. Yeah, so you obviously that was sort of like the beginning of the rivalry with Zane. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into your rivalry with Zane? Like, obviously, you're well respected of each other, but you both had very, very different approaches, but you both respected each other in training and in racing. You both ended up moving to the same club and competing under Northcliffe. And, but what was that rivalry like, like getting on the start line racing Zane, like year in, year out? It's probably like a six or seven year rivalry where you're both sort of going at it because I guess I was, I was going through and that's what I grew up with. I was watching you and Zane racing. So can you give us a bit of an insight into that rivalry? Yeah, look, if, if I, I and you don't want to race all the most, you know, competition ever in your career, and, and Zane's the obvious answer for me because, you know, there's other guys that, that had weak, a weak leg here or there, but Zane was strong across the board. There was no, no weak legs. His swim board ski and then the run, the run finish was obviously one of his strongest things. So for me, I had to get away from Zane in the water before the run finished because I was no chance up the beach with, with him. So we had some... Um, you know, ding dong battles, whether it's flat surf, big surf, um, 
long format, short formats. Um, we had some really good battles and the start of it, he was on the Sunshine Coast at Kiwana and I was down here. And then he came down to Northcote. So we ended up training together um, and then racing together for the back end of his career. So yeah, to this day, Zane's, Zane's definitely the, the Ironman that I, I don't want to, never wanted to race because um, he didn't have a, I didn't have a weak leg. It was really hard to, to beat him. And then we obviously got to do some team events together at Northcote, win some board relays and taplins and, um, I think we won three board relays in a row over in Perth and he went last every time. So, you know, you take him in front, he's not going to let you down. Yeah, he's an absolutely phenomenal athlete. And I, I yeah, just just seeing you guys go like one series, one series, one series, pretty much throughout that period was actually really cool to watch. And I think out of that, a lot of excitement to the sport, like going into these type of races, like what was your mental approach? Like, was there anything that you were doing differently from say when you were, I don't know, 15, 16 to 20 to 25, like, was there things that you were doing the same? Like, did you have like a plan at each time that you went into a race or was it different depending on the format, depending on the conditions and the competitors? Yeah, it probably d- d- changed a lot depending on formats and things, but I always liked to r- race from the front, um, especially in my younger career. When I got older, I probably got too smart for myself and tried to tactically play races out and sometimes it backfired. But when I was younger, I really want to just get in front and get clear water, get first opportunities at the waves and, and um, you know, try and lead from the front. But I've always been one to, to do my work in training before the weeks before the race and get to the race and not get too nervous. I'm confident in, in that I've done the work and then I'll just, you know, stay pretty calm and suss out the surf, surf conditions because I think that's the, the big thing for me was to really have my plan of where I was going to attack the the beach from which bank I was going to use, which rip I was going to use, where I was going to come in. And it was always, for me, it was always the big percentage play was, was where I wanted to go. I was never doing low percentage things unless I was a fair way behind. I always thought, well, I'm the best guy here. I'm going to go to the, the place where the waves are breaking the most and, and take advantage of that. So I think I was always calm. I never got too nervous before I raced and just made sure I did the work before it. Um, I warmed up good and, and just um, everything would take care of itself once I did that. Yeah, so you really focus on your preparation leading into the event. And yeah, sort of had that approach where if I've done the work when I get to the start line, there's not really much else I can do except for to, to take the, the low percentage plays and make sure that I'm doing the right things and not try and get too caught up in the moment. Because you see some athletes will be like leading and then just like go and do something random. And you're like, what did you do that for? Like you could have just take the easy option and they, and they may or may not win the race at the end. So you were sort of nicknamed the professor for a long time and you are or still probably now, even though you're still not racing, but you, yeah, you really went for those like high percentage plays all the time and you were able to sort of really use the surf to your advantage as well. Um, you always saw you like turn the can and you get a run and you get it all the way to the beach or you'd, you'd utilize other people's wash on, on the way out and you'd make sure that you were always doing the right things. And you were sort of like the, I guess the book on like how you should be racing for a lot of us kids growing up. So was there anything that like you were particularly focusing on at, at any point or was it always just, I'm just going to take the, the high percentage plays. I'm going to focus on my, my preparation and I'm just going to go out there and do my best. Yeah. For me, it was as, as basic as that. Look, I always knew my rivals and, you know, obviously you race Kai and he's the best swimmer we've ever had in the sport. So, you know, you're not going to beat him in the swim leg, but if you can hang in there in the swim leg, try and wash right him, um, stay on his hips, do whatever you can to stay with him. And then you've got the board and the ski to try and beat him. You're going to be a big chance. So it was always, you know, your competitive strengths and weaknesses. And when Kai was at his peak, um, you know, we all had to get better in swimming. So that wasn't just on race day. That was in the months before it. 
I knew yeah. I had to improve my swimming to be, to be a match for him. Otherwise, you know, he'd blow us away in the swim and you'd, you'd, you'd never see him again. So um, it was always, I think a big thing is to work on your weaknesses and that's not on race day. That's in the, the, the years and months before the race day, you've got to work on your weaknesses to get better. It's too easy to say, you know, I'm a good ski paddler. I'm just going to go to ski training and show everyone how good I am on the ski. You, you've got to go to swimming and show everyone how bad you are at swimming and then keep improving yeah. that because that's the only way you're going to get better. And I think um, for young kids, that's a big, big message is you've got to work on your weaknesses. There's no good just, um, you know, hanging your hat on all your strengths. You've got to try and get better at the things you're no good at. And sometimes you don't want to go training, get beaten and beaten again in the legs you're not good at, but that's how you're going to win a lot of races. Yeah, and speaking about your weaknesses, did you, was there any particular weaknesses that you had? Like, I never really saw them, but did you have any particular weaknesses like going through the junior ranks? And like, I know your strengths were obviously your transitions for a long time as well. You were sort of burning people in transitions and that was sort of where you were getting a lot of advantage. I still remember doing the uh, the transition sessions on Wednesdays and that was sort of tailored around uh, on your strength. So can you um, give us a bit of an insight into any of the weaknesses that you had as a, I guess, as a junior? Because it would have started swimming late. So swimming must have been a hard thing for you to get, but then you became very, very competitive at it. Yeah, it's probably swimming in my first couple of years um, in the Ironman series. You know, your skis, obviously, you're probably your weakest. That's just because you haven't developed that strength as much. But swimming was one I had to work very, very hard at to be, a, be in a top level. So for me, it was... I was a part of Miami Swimming Club at um, on the Gold Coast. So Dennis Cottrell was the head coach, who's one of the best free, or if not the best distance freestyle coach um, in the world. So I spent a lot of time there um, working on things like my kicking and getting leg speed in my kicking. And that really, really developed um, my swimming. So that was one thing I worked on. And then, you know, running was obviously the thing, the transitions was the thing that I really wanted to take to the sport. So it wasn't just a time you'd run around the flags and have a rest and recovery and then go again. It was, I really wanted to hurt people in the, in the, um, the transition legs. And that's what I did for a lot of my career. But then the back end of my career, I started to break down a lot in my, my legs and it wasn't a, wasn't a strength anymore. So you had to find other ways to win. And that's, you develop your ski paddling and catching runners and develop some other way to win. It's just about working, working out ways to get in front of the other guys if, if my legs will not work anymore. Yeah, so it was quite interesting to see that happen because it went from like your run legs to being your strength and, and you, then you created obviously some issues with your cars and you had a couple of surgeries. Like that was probably the biggest injury of your career, um, unless I'm wrong. But what was it like having to deal with that as you went through your career? Because obviously like you, your career is broken down into five-year periods or, or three-year periods or whatever it is and there's different challenges along the way, different people you compete against. But towards the back the back sort of tail end of your career you, you sort of your body was almost one of your biggest competitors yeah i think that's um just part and parcel of you know being a professional athlete for for two decades is you're going to have your niggling injuries um and you know i've had little things like i broke a hand um and missed an australian titles when i was about um 17. Um, I, I had my appendix out a week before the Australian titles when I was defending my first Australian title in 2004. So um, I did race the Ironman, but I was um, pretty um, pretty custard. So it wasn't wasn't great. And then um, and then to the back end of my career, I started having little Achilles tendon problems and um, a bit of pain. Like I'd get out of bed and just couldn't walk and start to warm up a little bit and get better. But um, those niggling injuries were hard when you sort of your mind's thinking, should I retire? Am I if I had enough of this, when you when you can't walk out of bed and you got two young kids, it's it sort of plays with your mind a little bit. But I made a decision that I was going to do one more year and have a really good crack 
um, at it, and I, I had a good off season, so I recovered really well. And I was, but that's my last year, so two years ago, I thought I was really, really going well. Um, I was confident that I could win the Kellogg series, um, and I was training really well. And then, you know, 10 metres into the first round, I tore my calf, and, um, you know, a massive, massive tear. Um, so that was, was pretty tough. I missed three months. I came back for, I think, the first, the last two rounds. Um, and then I raced my the Shore and Partner Shannon X to Ironman Classic and then Aussies to finish my career. But that was the big, big thing for me to, to not, you know, have a chance to win in that Kellogg series because I tore my calf. It was, it was pretty, pretty tough. Yeah, and what is it like, obviously, being such a successful athlete with so many titles over such a period of time? We'll go back to all your titles, but now we're on the topic. Like, what was it like to, like, to sort of know that your mind could still do it, but your body probably couldn't? And what was it like, obviously, coming to the end of your career? And were you, were you happy? Were you sad? It was gone? Like, what was the whole sort of feeling like when you had to really stop? Because in a way, your body wasn't really allowing you to do what your mind wanted you to do. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty tough. Um... You know, I'd, yeah, I, you had a really, really good run at it, so you, you can't be too great. Um, you, always, you always want more. That's the nature of who I am. You always want more. So, um, yeah, I had a really good, you know, sort of farewell tour the whole year and really, really enjoyed it. But um, obviously the injury soured it a little bit. But, um, you know, I could have kept racing for another year or two. But the way the sport is... Um, it was getting harder and harder to, to make a dollar and the sponsors and prize money was, was getting really, really tough. And as, you know, I'm 37 now with two young kids, you had an opportunity to move into, um, you know, property development with a company called Villa World and I couldn't pass, off, pass up that opportunity. So that was how I sort of retired and justified it to myself that yeah. you probably got to take this opportunity now. Um, and um, the sport, even though you love it and you could probably keep going for a year or two, I might play my calf again or, or something else. And there's no guarantees. Yeah. And that's something that part and parcel with sport. And obviously getting older, you, you get have that fantastic career, but you, there is a time where your body sort of goes, it's enough. And if, if the opportunities dry up and there's opportunities elsewhere, you have to sort of weigh that up. And I guess you probably did it at the right time and then other opportunity presented itself. But um, going into like the, the Shannon X on Ironman classic that you, you've got now, you've had it for two years running. It's, it's probably one of the biggest events in the sport now. Is it pretty cool to have your name to, a, to an event like that? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, you know, the, the first year was kind of a testimonial, um, you know, event for my retirement. But um, yeah, when you got your name on it, you still want it to run really well. You want everyone to have a good time. And sometimes surf carnivals get a bad rap because you're sitting under a tent, you know, all day and there might be two races and, I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted it to be, um, you know, a good, fast event with a dash for cash, really good quality Ironman racing. And um, the first year was great. Then the second year, um, you know, thanks to Sean Partners, wanted to do it again. And um, we got some really, really big swell. The whole week, the beaches were closed. Um, we got to Friday afternoon and the beaches were still closed. We were racing Saturday. If the beaches don't open, then we, we can't race for insurance reasons. So the lifeguard said they'll open it Saturday lunchtime, 12 p.m., so we decided to, to run it just in the afternoon and get it all done. And the surf was massive. Everyone had a great time. We had some thrills and spills. And, um, you know, I've never seen a, a finish to the Ironman race like it with I think it was seven or eight guys on the one wave sprinting up the beach for, for 20 grand. So it was really, really cool and looking forward to, to running it again. But, yeah, when you got a, your name on something and you want it to run well and be, be well organised. 
Yeah, and, and speaking of rivals, you sort of had Ali win the first one. I think you got second, and then you had uh, Matt Bevelacqua win that sprint finish last year. Um, speaking of rivalries, we spoke about Zane. We spoke a little bit about Kai. Um, now you've got all these young guys coming through as well. So you've sort of seen, because you've been doing it for 20 years, you've had like sort of the tail end of a lot of the, the Toby's guys, um, like sort of how we had race like Guy Andrews and Clado and all those um, great athletes. But then you've had the Zane and, and sort of Shannon um, Kaihurst sort of era. And then you're sort of coming into like late, like early 2010s and you start to see like Matt Poole, Kendrick Louie, uh, Matt Bevilacqua, uh, all these athletes coming through now who are actually like sort of, I think broken up the series wins in the last four years. What was it like racing against that newer crowd as well after racing against sort of the guys that was probably similar your age? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously had, you, I won a world Ironman title when I was 18. So there's a bit of a target on your back throughout the whole of my career. But when the rest of the guys around my age started to retire, and then there's these younger guys coming through, you probably got a little bit more expectation that, that you're going to win. But these young guys were really, really good training under Michael King up on the Sunshine Coast together. And you know, they, they wanted to beat me every race. And that was, I sort of welcomed the challenge there. I could tell by Kingy that, you know, he was getting him up just to, to beat me. He didn't care about anything else. He just wanted to beat me. So um, had a really good rivalry um, with all of them. Um, you know, all of them had their strengths and weaknesses, obviously Paulie and myself had a, had a run in at Newcastle, which was, was well publicized. He, Dead said, pushed me in the back and got away with it. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I always say to him, I thank him for that because it, it fired me up. I, I think I won the next eight or nine. It was. They, they wanted to do anything to, to beat us. And they, were, they trained really well together out there with Kingy. They were fit guys and, and hard to beat. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was definitely well publicised. I remember that moment. I think it still goes around and probably still gives you a bit of shit for it. On uh, I think I saw it on social media recently as well. But they, um, I think those type of motivations are really good for you. Like whether it's losing, whether something happens, like whether it's something you see, you read, you hear, all those types of things. Like were there different things over your career that motivated you? And and what sort of what sort of did you draw on? Like because you can't just you, like once you win a lot of things, like you won so many titles you sort of like, okay, so I've done that. I've, I've, got, I've got those tires. Now it's like, do I win more? Or does this person piss me off? And they said something that I didn't like. Like, is, what, was, what were the different motivators that you found throughout your career and, and how did they really fire you up and drive you towards different successes? Yeah, I've always said, you know, the first titles, the, the easy one, it's second and third. They're, they're the hardest things to do because you've ticked that box and, and what motivates you to do the, the little extra things that you were doing or little extra things to improve to continue winning. So for me, um, you know, obviously being really, really competitive, I didn't want to lose. So anytime you lost, that would sort of give me a bit of a kickstart for the, for the next race. But um, when I was younger, that, that's all that motivated me was to work harder than anyone else and, and win. And um, I, I did that for a few years and then, you know, I got married, um, had a couple of kids. So when Ellie came in 2012, that was more, in, in, more inspiration for me to, to continue racing, to continue winning. And, um, she was born March 23rd, 2012, and the next week was Aussies, and I won the Ironman um, that that next week. And so things like that kept kept motivating me throughout my career, but I found it really, really difficult once I was about 32. The last two or three years, um, when you've got niggling injuries, it's pretty easy just to, to cruise around and come fourth or fifth and not do the extra things you need to do to win. So I probably fell into that the last couple of years of my career, but... Um, you know, every time you lost it, it definitely 
you know, if you lose, you don't lose the lesson. You, you work out why you lost. What do I need to do to improve and, and keep getting better? Yeah, it's definitely, there's all those different things that come along, along the way and you have all those different motivators, which is really cool. But let's talk a little bit more about the Nutrigrain Ironman series. Do you, what, what was the, was that probably the main focus of your career? Do you think? Oh, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it probably was. Um, cause at the end of the day to be a professional Ironman, you, you need to have sponsors and, and have prize money. Like Aussies are a big thing to, to win, but once you've won it once, um, you probably got to earn a living for the rest of your career as well. So tick that Aussie's box was great. But yeah, the, the Kellogg series was um, you know, obviously tough being that you had to run back to back, sometimes day after day, different formats, different venues, um, different swell, different different things all, all throughout my career. And you had to sort of adapt and and um, you know, show your ability across multiple rounds every year. And I think that was probably yeah, the, the main focus of, of how I trained and, and what I trained for. Because yeah, you had your first win in two thousand and two, and then you didn't, and you didn't win again until two thousand five, two thousand and six. So you had that sort of Zane, um, Shannon sort of era. So you won the first one in this like sort of post Uncle Toby's era. Then you had Zane win the next two, then you won the next two, uh, and then Zane won the next one, then you won the next three in a row um, just before Ellie was born. What was that sort of period like? Because that was like eight to nine years where you and Zane were going against each other. Was there any key defining moments in that period where you're like, okay, um, that was my favourite race win or that was my favourite uh, format? Like, was there anything in during that sort of first maybe eight years of your professional career? Was there like, was there any defining moments where you're like, okay, that was the one I really wanted to win? I, I got over the top of him or something like that? Yeah. So as you said, I won. Um, I think it's 2002, 2003. Um, the series that was a five or six round series, and then. Kellogg's went to a um, one weekend at Coogee, $50,000 um, first prize. So it was, and that's when Zane won the two years in a row was the, the one-off weekends at Coogee. So it was eliminated format. And then it was pretty much one race, winner takes all and, and takes the series, which it, it wasn't technically a series, but that was what it was. Yeah, on. right. So, so he won the first two of those. And then, then I won the third one. Then it went back to a multiple round series. So, as I said before, to beat Zane in a, in a one-off Ironman is really, really tough, especially in, in flat water at Coogee because you've got to get away before the sprint. So, yeah, he won those two years and then I won the last year. So probably getting the third one of those was, was probably the most difficult thing because Zane showed how good he was at that eliminator format in flat water. Um, so, to, yeah, to win the, the third one and then obviously went back to a multiple round series and they're a little bit easier in the sense that you can have a bad day and, and finish second or third, but still win a series. But when it's a one weekend event where um, the winner takes all, it's, you can't be off your game. Yeah. And then you sort of were really successful, I guess, once it went back to that series format, I think Zane only got you one more time. Uh, you won the first year when it went to back to the series format and then Zane got it, then you won the next three. What was it like to be that consistent though? Like you must've been like, what were your focuses? Like, were you really, targeting certain events targeting certain things or were you just really in your prime when you were really just taking a hold of that series for that sort of 2009 to 2012 period yeah it's probably just been in your prime um doing everything right in training nailing the the key sessions whether it was um you know i was training with pat o'keefe at that time so he's obviously was um, a pretty hard taskmaster and nailing his key sessions that i get to the races pretty confident that you know, with even luck, I'd be in, in the mix to win these races. So that, that always gave me the confidence that, um, you know, you could go out and win multiple series. But 
uh, nailing the key, you know, lactic acid sessions in the swimming pool or Miami running heel sessions or the paddle backs or, or whatever I wanted to do. I, I always knew probably fortnightly what key sessions throughout that fortnight I wanted to nail. And then the other sessions were a bit more just get through them, but I wanted to go to the pool and nail this session on a Tuesday and that one on a Thursday. And, and um, that's what got me in good, good stead to back up these races in the series and series after series. But yeah, it's probably just being in the prime, really enjoying myself, um, looking after myself and enjoying winning too. Yeah. And when you were training, were you really, was like the training based around like a four week block or was it more specifically targeted? Did you have like a 16 week pre-season? I guess you can give away a few of your secrets now that you're not racing yeah. anymore. But um, so how, how did you really prepare for a, a surf life saving season? Cause you would have, usually it was like leading to the cool and Gadagoda. And I think you only did that twice, uh, but then you had, then you were led into the, the series and then you sort of let it like followed on with the Australian tiles and that type of thing towards the end of the year. What was what was your focus on on in training? Yeah, it probably um, you know, obviously, obviously depends on what events you're training for. But I, I think I needed 15 weeks to get fit for for one event. So if I've had a good off season where I've let myself go, I needed you know a couple of weeks to prepare for the 16 week training block, and um, that would get me in good stead. And I always like to be ready for round one, um, and then just maintenance work throughout the rest of the year, really. So. It was always getting all the hard work, get as fit as you can for round one, um, and then just maintenance work to make sure I'm, I'm jumping out of my skin at every round um, throughout the year. And then if we did have a four to six week you know, break between rounds, then you, you can break that up into training blocks. But if we're running, racing every week or every two weeks, then I'd like to just get fit for the first one and then just recover and then get myself some get really, really jumping out of my skin, itching to go for the next one. Yeah, so you're really just making sure that you're getting fit and healthy and strong before the season starts. So then you can really just focus on being the best you can be at each of those competitions because you do, once the summer starts, there is like almost a race every weekend and it's really hard to, you can't train during that period. You're basically just tra racing, recovering, peaking, <laughs> racing, recovering, yeah. peaking, yeah. And for me, it was probably, I had to hold myself back a little bit, not if I'm racing every week or every two weeks, I sometimes get too competitive in training and think, oh, he's going hard. I'm going to beat him this session. Whereas, you know, I wanted to beat him on Saturday, not on the Tuesday session. So it was pulling myself back a little bit. And I think that's important too, to, to not kid yourself. If you've done the work before, sometimes you don't need to flog yourself in training. You gotta, might not be the best thing to do. For me, being so competitive, I had to pull myself back a few times. Yeah. And that's sort of a trait of a lot of the top athletes. They all want to win every session and make sure that they've got their nose in front by that little bit, no matter who I've spoken to on this podcast. It's basically like a trait of a great athlete, but there is that point where you've got to pull back. You don't need to win the Thursday afternoon um, speed session before you're starting to race on Saturday. You've got to be really be able to pull yourself back. And you've obviously done that very, very well across your career. But one of the guys we haven't spoken about is Kane. So Kane, uh, Eckstein is your brother, very obviously accomplished Ironman himself. Um, we're talking about you won three in a row and he wins the 2012 Ironman series. How did he push you throughout your career um, as a youngster and then obviously coming through? You won a lot of cool and gutter golds. What was the sort of the rivalry and the support that you both gave each other? Yeah, look, we're not big talkers or anything. So we don't really, you're not chatting to each other about tactics or anything. You know, we just get to training, what's the session, and we just rip in. And yeah. And that's, that's pretty much what we did for each other. And we both benefited out of that. Um, there's no harder trainer um, than Kane. When he was at his peak, he, he really worked hard. And, 
and um, that benefited my career too because you obviously you got a little brother who's 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 flying on the water and you want to keep up with him and push him and and when he was training for the pulling out of gold when I wasn't doing it so I wanted to train with him too and you know do the ski session with him to make sure he's going well and it was great to see him I think win the the first pulling out of gold that came back um, I finished third in that race and that that's when he sort of emerged as as um being you know an Ironman man in his own right he'd Previous to that, he'd won <clears throat> under 11, 12, 13, 14 swimboard and Ironman at the state titles. Um, so oh, that's, wow. when you think of that record, um, you look back at Nippers and to see someone do that, um, you know, they're obviously going very, very, very good. But, um, you know, when he won that first coming out of goal, that sort of stepped out of the shadow and it great Ironman in his own right. Um, there's not too many guys that have, you know, won a coming out of goal, won a professional series and finished multiple times on the podium at the Australian Ironman title. So he's got that repertoire where he's, I don't know, won 20 or 30 Australian gold medals as well. So it's very good in team events and short course as well as long course. Yeah, and speaking of, uh, I guess, the Coolangatta gold, that was what sort of like the race that eluded you. Like we all sort of, I guess, who were fans, I guess, in the background, who wanted to see you win it because we like, yeah, I guess, as a, a fan of sport, you like to see great people do great things. And it was something that really eluded you. You got a third, you got a two seconds. Um, they were like years apart. Uh, your first one was uh, 2005, then you raced in 2007, you got second to Reese Fury. Then you came back in 2017 and finished second to Ali. Um, what was that experience like for you? Like, I know you had issues with your cars later on as well, and but you, you never won that race. Was that hard for you to take or was it just like, okay, that just wasn't for me? Uh, a little bit of both. Um... You know, I grew up, as I said previously, the Aussie titles was a thing that, you know, I grew up loving. I'd go there and just look at the atmosphere and that was, I got the bug early on. So for me, that was what I wanted to do. Um, calling out a gold was a little bit different in the sense that, it, you know, they made the movies in the 80s and it was held sporadically throughout the 90s and didn't get held to 2005. So I never grew up watching it or wanting, wanting to do it, but it came back in 2005 and I was, I was 22 um, so I did it um, 05, 06, 07, finished something third, fourth, second. Um, yeah. And those three times, um, the first time I wasn't enough, I started, my legs started hurting. I started walking, I think. And the next year, same thing. I led with about 5K to go and couldn't feel my, feel my calves. Um, then the third year when Reese Jury won, I was, I had no excuses. I was as fit as I could be. Pat worked me so hard. Um, and then I had I don't know, three or four minutes lead going into the run leg and same thing, 5K to go. I just couldn't feel my feet. And I'd had tests done before and I knew I had some issues with blood flow going down behind my legs. So I finished second in that race and I just said, oh, I'm not doing it again until I had this operation that I needed to do to, to release some blood flow behind my legs. Because if I got the operation done, it would have jeopardised my short course career if it didn't go well. So I decided to put it on the back burner until... I'd done everything I wanted to do in my career. And that's why I came back in 2017. I had, I finished Aussies in 2017 and flew down to Sydney, had the operation the day after Aussies to give myself 24 weeks to get ready for the gold. Um, then I just had so many setbacks in that 24 weeks that I knew by the time I got to the gold that I hadn't done much running. And um, I, I felt like I probably shouldn't do it, but I'd committed to it. I told everyone I was doing it. And, I was in the race out in front with Al and um, just, he was, he was talking to me and I just said, mate, don't worry about me. You just keep going. I can't run, mate. So um, 
I finished second that day, and that was that was a good way to finish that off. But um, I knew that you know I just kept breaking down every time I tried to put weeks together of running. So I don't know what it was, but um, just yeah, it wasn't for me. Yeah, is, is it like I guess looking back, is it nice in a way that you weren't able to win that race? Like, is it nice to know that I don't know something did elude you? In, I don't know. It's just like, is it is it something that you look back on fondly, or you look back on it going, oh, I wish I won that. Um. You know, obviously, I wish you won it, but um, I, I'm not that disappointed. But I'm disappointed that if you get the reputation that you're not an endurance athlete. Um, so if people say, "Oh, well, did you couldn't get a gold to endurance race," Shannon never won that because he's not an endurance athlete. Well, I don't, I don't think it was ever about being a four-hour race. It was about the running. If there was, you know, a five-k run with a, you know, a three-k swim to finish. Um, I think I would have won multiple of them. It was just the only thing that let me down was the running. So it wasn't the endurance part why I couldn't win. It was the running part. So that that probably the only disappointing thing that people might think that there was the endurance part that I couldn't do. And would you say that was probably like your, um, in a way, your greatest defeat in your career? Or was there another moment in your career where you're like, oh, I should have won that? Like, well, like whether it was a series or an Ironman or something like that? Because I guess we all have uh, events we look back on and we're like, oh, shit, like if, if I did this right, if I did this a little bit better. Yeah, um, no, not, not so much to pull and get a goal. I think, as I said, I prepared really well and did everything I could for it. Um, in the sport I chose to do, there's some luck comes into play. Uh, the the testimonial race when when Ali won, I felt like I probably could have won that twice. Um, two waves popped up last swim leg and I was in front. And I thought both times I, I pretty much I was ready to claim it because these waves are going to break and then it didn't break and then the next one came and it didn't break again. So then Al got the third one and beat me up the beach. But um, you know that was obviously disappointing. And then my last Ironman at the Australian titles, I finished second to to Max Brooks. Um, you always want more, but um, you know, in that race, I, I led out of the board. Um, led coming in on the ski and had to pull off a wave. I, if I took it, I might have lost my ski or I might have held it, but I decided to pull off, and that probably um, you know, cost me the, the race. But um, that's the sport I chose to do, really. Yeah, and it's, there's a bit of luck going involved in the sport, but yeah, I, I did notice that you were quite emotional after that race, and I read the articles before and said you wouldn't have been emotional. Um, what like why did it mean so much to you to finish that race? in a win uh, I don't think it had to do with being my last race I think it was just if that was you know in the middle of my career I would have been frustrated as well um, just because you get you work so hard you get so close and um, you just want to win so that's probably why you get a bit emotional or you're a bit upset um, yeah you do all the work do everything you can and you feel like it's sort of taken away from you from nothing you can control but yeah that's that's why you get emotional or upset yeah yeah, it's, well, it's like any great athlete, you want to win everything you do and you've got to be emotional. And I think it's great to see that it just it still meant that much to you um, in your last ever race, you know? Like there's a lot of guys who go through their career and, and they finish their last race and they're like, oh, thank God it's over. And in, in a way you were like, oh, geez, I wish I could do more, you know? So I think I think it was great to see the, the emotion and just to see uh, how, how, how much the sport meant to you. Yeah, I think the last three years of my career, um, you know, I felt like I was still going really well, but you you just weren't in the right spot at the right time or I rolled my ankle um, when I was going well and then I tore my calf. Um, I rolled my foot at the Aussies over in Perth in a, like a board relay and I couldn't run during the Ironman final. It's, I think the last three years I felt 
you know, really, really frustrated that I couldn't get clear air to, to get in front. And probably if I, if I won that last race, it probably would have, I don't know, made it feel better the last three years to show that I could still do it. Whereas I felt now you still feel the last three years were pretty average. I didn't really win too much, but I still felt like I was going well. So how important was winning to you throughout your career? Like there's obviously like the experiences and going away and having a good time, the great people you meet, the, your family and all that type of thing. But how, how important was winning? Oh, it's, it's hard to say how much you, you, you place on winning. Like in, in the sport I, I did, sometimes you could be the best athlete on a day and not win. Um, sometimes you, you could be coming forth and catch a wave and win. I thought it was always about being honest with myself about your performance and how much work you did to get there. I think that was probably what it was about for me, more about knowing that you'd done everything you could on to get yourself ready on the day. And if I didn't win, you still got to be happy with doing everything you could. Um, but in saying that, winning was obviously when you had the ability that I had and you know, the pressure on you that I had, it was a big, bigger relief because I think every race I did, there was a big expectation um, that you would win. And everywhere I went, people expected you to win because of your record. So I think that's probably why, um, you know, you, you got emotional when you did win was because it was probably a bit more of a relief than people think because there is a lot of expectation and pressure on you because you got a target on your back. That's what everyone thinks you're going to do. So you, you may as well do it if you lost. That was was a letdown. And how did you deal with that type of pressure? Because you obviously have the internal pressure you give yourself. You had the external pressure from like the fans and the supporters of the sport, but then you also have maybe some pressure from your family or wherever it was coming from, sponsors, that type of thing, club, surf clubs, contracts, all that different thing that sort of you're, you're gearing yourself up to want, like to, to take those victories each and every time. How did you deal with that pressure? Like, was there anybody you relied on? Was there things that you did? Did you go and do different activities to take your mind off things? Like, what were you doing throughout your career to, to deal with this pressure over 20 years? Because it's, it's a long time to deal with it. Yeah, I always, always enjoyed myself. Have good friends, um, good family. Just have good people around you. So, um, you know, I always enjoy, enjoy time. You know, if we're racing on a Sunday. I just, you know, sit there watching the horse racing Saturday afternoon and, not not focused on the the race the next day. Um, I'd be be pretty laid back, and I think you you learn that as you get more mature and you've experienced a lot more. And when you're young and you, you, you're nervous as hell before the racing, um, I, when I was younger, sometimes I'd throw up the morning of a race because you were that nervous. You couldn't stomach breakfast. But as you get older, it's easy to say uh, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. But What's the biggest? What's the worst thing that's going to happen today? I'm going to come fifth or sixth and not have a great race. See, it's not. It's not that bad. So, I, I got to deal with that. You know, as I got older, a bit better. But when I was younger, I definitely was was um, super nervous the morning of races, even the night before. We're not sleeping. But as you get older, you're more mature. It's and you, you race. You know, hundreds of times. It's it's just about. I always felt at home. You know, on race day towards the back end of my career, once I walked down the beach, it, it always felt like I was born to do this. This is where I belong. Um, I'll just go and do what I do, really. It was pretty simple. And did you love competing and racing throughout your career? Was there any moments in time where you were like, oh, I don't really want to do this anymore? Was it always just like, I love racing, I love training, I love being the best I can be? Um, pretty much. 
much throughout my career. I always loved racing. Um, the big races, definitely. Sometimes when you're at the, the smaller carnivals or it got a bit monotonous um, when you're sitting under the tent waiting for a ski race or an Ironman and you're thinking, I don't really want to be here. But um, the, the big races, definitely. I, I always was pretty pumped to, to get up for those and, and race the best guys. As <clears throat> the thing that probably made me retire more than most was the training. That was the, the hardest part of it. The, the racing was the easy part. Yeah, and and you really enjoyed getting onto that start line and competing against the best of the best when the the moments counted because there's some there's I guess there's no better feeling than winning when everybody else wants to win because as a as a as a winner I guess you know better than anybody else like you have to get out there and you have to take these victories you can't just and nothing's given to you was that something that like really drove you like to be able to to step it up on the stage when it really counted? Yeah, if you don't put yourself out there, um, you're never going to get the the big thrills really. Um, if you're, not, if you're scared to, to put your foot on the line and race the best people, even when you, you're sick or injured, um, you've got to put your foot on the line and have no excuses and put yourself out there because you know, you've only got a short span of time to, to race and, and get the results you really want. Was what I, what I wanted to do. I, whether it was a little kind of a big kind of, I wanted to be consistent and show that I could, could race whoever was on the starting line and whatever the format was, whatever the legs were, if the swim was short, the swim was long, whatever the format was, I wanted to show that, that I could do it. And, and who were you proving it to most? Like, were you proving it to yourself or to others or at, at different people at different times? Like when you got on that start line, what was your main driving factor? Yeah, I think proving it to yourself. Um, and it's probably a little bit about you don't want someone else to win too. It's like, what's, what's the other option? What's the options here? I'm, I'm going to win. Or that guy over there is going to win. I don't, I don't want him to win, so I want to win. That's probably more about you don't want other people to, to win, <laughs> which probably sounds bad, but that's, that's what it's like. You, you want to be the one. If I wasn't yeah. going to be the one, I wanted Kane to be the one. If he couldn't be the one, then you know, we're going to do everything we can to, to get it between us. And how hard is it when you're winning so much like, and you're basically going out and people expect you to win, and then when you get on the start line, it gets to the point where like, I can only really lose each time I get out there. Like if I don't win, I lose like there's because people expect me to win. And if I start, then I have to win. And if I don't win, people are like, well, what happened? Yeah, the, it is a bit of a lose lose situation. Um, if you win, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I did have that comment a few times um, from from sponsors and promoters. You know, it's if you keep winning, it is boring. Um, it's not not kind of what we want. Yeah, <laughs> and I've heard that a few times. And so you're in a lose lose. Like you win and you lose, and uh, I, don't, I don't know. So that was a bit hard to take because I did feel there was you know some times where it was um, the formats changed or the legs changed to try and get variable results or or whatever. But I just felt like it, it, you set an Ironman course and the best guy will win no matter what. But um, yeah, it, it's always always tough when you feel like people are trying to set things up so you don't win. Um, yeah, and whether that happened or not, or or not, I don't, I don't know. But it did feel like that, and you did hear comments that you know if you keep winning, it's it's boring. So, and I always say, well, Tiger Woods keeps winning, Roger Federer keeps winning. That, that's how they treat their stars. Um, we should yeah. be treating stars a bit differently. It, it, I, I've actually been lucky enough to be in that same position in stand-up for a while there. And 
they were they people change the, the formats on you they try and detract from you they tell you that they don't want you to win anymore and it's like what do you mean i've like i've trained all this time to be able to do this and now you're telling me that it's, you don't want me to do it because you want somebody else to win it's like it's a really weird position to be in and um yeah i guess it's i guess it's a fortunate position as well because you're like well obviously i'm doing something right but it doesn't feel nice when people are taking away basically from what you've spent all this time trying to achieve and they're like well, we don't want you to do that anymore it's like what and it probably probably motivates you you more too when you you, hit <laughs> yeah. you see those those people with those reactions and it just spurs you spurs you on they're, they're the people you want to prove it to that yeah you can change the course or change this or don't tell me that but you know what i'm still going to win so tough biggies yeah. it's got to be your favorite thing when somebody tells you that you're not going to be able to do something or you hear on the grapevine that someone tells you you can't do something you're like okay well, that's my motivation for the next 16 weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then speaking about Australian tyres, like unfortunately you didn't win your last one. That just it didn't pay out, but you did win eight um, Australian tyres, which is pretty incredible. It's the most ever. Um, is there any one of those that really stands out? Like obviously your first one would probably stand out, but was there any ones where throughout your career, so I think here you won in 2003, 2006, 2008, then you won 11, 12, um, when you're having that amazing run throughout the series, you won, you won 14, 15, 16, you won another three in a row. Um, was there any ones of those Ironman where you thought, okay, this is this is like probably not going to happen, but you pulled it out on the day, or was it was there any ones that you really really stoked with, and was there any ones that you were like, damn it, I should have won that one? <laughs> um, obviously, yeah, as I said, the first ones that was the only one my dad saw. He handled for me that day, so that's the one that sticks in the mind the most um, as the the most special one. I've always said the Australian Ironman titles is the the pinnacle of our sport. Um, for an Ironman and you've got to get your name on that list as a winner because that's that's the coolest thing to do so to get the first one was was pretty cool um, the the best one I put together was over in Perth um, I think Kane finished second um, and that was to equal Trevor's record of six or to get seven to go in front but um, I, I, I put together the best race and I won by a long long way and um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty stoked with that one. Um, ones that got away, obviously the last one um, that I did, I felt like I got very, very close to that one. Um, I don't know. The Maruchador one, I think that was 2016. That was yeah. really, really messy surf, big surf. And that was, that was, I remember, um, I think it was Kurt Hansen. I was coming on the board and I could hear his commentary he said, said something like, Shannon Eckstein's making these guys look like nippers. <laughs> and that, that sticks out in my mind too. Because, um, obviously, the, as I said, Australian Ironman title is the pinnacle of the sport. And if you can go in a performance that you're proud of, you, you're obviously doing the right thing. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and it would have been hard, obviously, having that, that 2017 ended up being cancelled as well when you're obviously having such an amazing run through that period. Um, is there any sort of like things that you look back on and that you, you're really most proud of, like outside of maybe an Ironman series title or a, a Toby's? Is there any like key moments outside of that where you're like, oh, that was an amazing race? Like you won 42 Australian um, Australian gold medals, which is, I don't know if that's the most of it, probably is. Um, was there any of those races where you were like, that was an amazing race? Like you won a lot of Taplin titles, swim teams. You, I think you won board rescues. You won basically every event you could win. Was there any of those standout performances that you you think were really, really incredible? Yeah, um, obviously at the Aussies, you know, you're in the Ironman, but if you're in a club like Northwith, you've got five or six team events as well to do. And 
you want to do your best in those for the guys you've trained with all year at the club. And that was probably one of the things I'm most proud of is performances in team events. And the one in Perth, um, it was last time I went to Perth, 2017-ish or 2018. 2018. 2018. Um, that was towards the back end of my career. Um, we hadn't won a board relay for a little bit. And I was in a team with Kane and Corey Taylor. And all year I, I said, all right, boys, we're going to win this over in Perth. I'm going to go first. I'm going to come in first and we're going to win this. And um, in the semifinal, so I didn't go first in the heats or quarterfinals, semifinals. Um, but in the semifinal, I rolled my foot coming off the board and it puffed up and I couldn't put any weight on it. And then the final was an hour or two later. And I said to CT, um, Corey Taylor, I said, oh, I can't go first. I can't run, mate. And um, he's like, oh, okay. He just, his heart rate just went up. <laughs> and, um, and then the draw came out and we were number one and Noosa was number two. And that's Reese Burrows, who I thought he's going to get a cracking start. Um, it's actually a pretty good, good um, you know, draw. Yeah. And right about a minute before the start, CT was on the line. And I said, stuff it, CT. I'm going first. And um, I just said, I've just got to get into the water and get on Reese's wash and then I could blow it run away in the board leg. And um, I did that, got on his wash, halfway out, he's in front. And there's another group, you know, on, on the inside, but we're, we're in front. And so I, then I just went for the first can, probably about 80 metres before it, and just cut everyone off, hit the first can, and then just accelerated, got my own wave. Um, came, kept the lead, and CT got his own wave wave and, and we won that race and you know i was pretty 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 pumped to do it um and then you have a little setback like hurting my foot and having doubts and just like stuff it i'm going to put myself out there i'm going to go first i'll get this done and the win that was was pretty cool yeah and i guess that's 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 the, that's the thing that you want you want to put your best foot forward you want to be able to achieve it and to achieve it in a team event as well i think it's something a little bit more special because you do on or you're doing most of these hours by yourself you are you are training in, in groups and in, in training in a training environment but a lot of the time you're you're training alone in your own thoughts so it's nice to be able to step it up and do it in team events what was it like as a maybe an, a more of an individual athlete to be able to really perform at aussies with, with all these different team events once once a year obviously there was a couple of other carnivals that you probably didn't do too many events there but i remember you do like 20 events or something a day pretty much at aussies and it was just kind of ridiculous but you were able to sort of hold your performance throughout that what was it like sort of backing up and being able to race for your team each time yeah so obviously really really hard to you, you do a swim team or a swim race against the best swimmers or olympic swimmers and then you go to a ski race or a ski relay against the best ski paddlers or olympic hikers and then you go to board relay against the board paddlers. Then you go to your Ironman. So you, you kind of had to try and be good at everything and match the guys that individually were the best at that. And that, that was what I always found difficult. But um, you just, just manage, you know, the swim team. I think we won 11 in a row or, or something like that. And I don't think I was outside the top two um, individually in that, in that swim team swim. So you always wanted to lead the team. And... Um, say if it's 42 or 43 Australian gold medals, um, a lot of those were team events and I never wanted, you know, someone else to win it for me. I wanted to be the one you know, leading the team by example and, and really um, showing what to do. So, yeah, the, the team events were, were hard because mentally you wanted to win the Ironman as well and you didn't want to take it away, you know, any extra... Um, you didn't want to spend any more energy where you didn't have to. But once you got your foot on the line in a, in a race for your club and your team, there was no, um, no taking a backward step. It was all like ripping in. 
And how did you deal with that pressure? Obviously from the pressure within yourself to win the Ironman, because that was obviously your focus from, from day dot. Basically you wanted to you win your first Ironman title and you wanted to eclipse Travis record and you, you beat that. But how was it trying to deal with the pressure? Because you had to obviously prepare for this, like leading into Aussie, you would have had to do a lot of training to make sure that you were fit enough to be able to perform in say eight finals or whatever it is that you were competing in and maybe 70 races over the week. I don't know how many it was, but how did you like allow yourself to be able to perform in so many different races and when you were tired or you were hurting, like to be able to step it up and perform in a, in a swim team or perform in a board relay and then get to finals day and then do the, do the Ironman and then do the tap. Yeah, I always, I think it was something Trevor said to me when he was in circles, they had quite good team events as well was, you know, if you get to the last day and you're in the Ironman final, but if you've already got four gold medals hanging around your neck, you know what, you've worked really hard for those four gold medals, but it sort of takes the pressure off. You've already had a pretty good Aussies. You're, you're confident because you've won. So it's, it's well worth it. So there's the, the benefits of that too, that you've already won some medals or you already had good races and you've got building up confidence in yourself. Whereas if you're a guy at a club that doesn't have team events, throughout those five days, you come down, you wait around, you do your Ironman heat, you go home, you sit around, then you go down, you do your Ironman quarter, go home. I always found if you're in the atmosphere down the beach, even though you're doing some more racing, but that's what we train for. We train the race. I don't go to the pool five mornings a week and swim 6K to, to race once a day. I want to race five or six times a day. And in terms of you know, how much we train, racing five or six times a day is not, not much. So you can, you can always get through it. Yeah, but it's a very different approach to a lot of different sports out there. Like you see, I guess, Olympic athletes or they go and do their one swim a day or whatever it is, and then they race the final. They might do three events over the whole period, and you might say you do six or seven races. You're sort of doing, I don't know, 30, 35 races over that period. So it's, it's, it's obviously something that's hard to probably grasp for a lot of different athletes. And I guess kids coming through as well probably look at it like, oh, I really want to win the Ironman, so I don't want to do my team events. But then it's like you're saying the opposite. It's like, I want to do all my team events and then do the – the Ironman as well. So yeah, it's just a very, very different approach. But um, one thing we haven't really spoken about as well. So you won 2002. Um, when, when were the other years that you won world championships? And I know you competed on a lot of Australian teams. You went on tours with the Australian team as well. You were captain many times. Um, what was that experience like? Because there's obviously all these different facets. So I guess in the, in the portfolio or the, the pie chart or whatever you want to look at it as surf lifesaving, there's all these different aspects and you were very, very good at all of them. How did you sort of manage that different... Um, section of that and how important was those world titles to you so i think you ended up winning six world titles yeah um you could probably help me out but i think 2002 daytona um then zane won in four and oh six and i won oh eight is that um i unfortunately can't help you because i couldn't find the information <laughs> i think i won oh eight in germany and in um maybe egypt 12 in france 14 oh one was in adelaide 14 and yeah, maybe another one in Adelaide. I think two in Adelaide. So yeah, I'm lucky enough to travel around. And as part of the world champs, you, you can race for your club, but that's the second week. In the first week, they have their international racing where Australia takes a team there and it's quite a small team and you got to be multidisciplined in that. They do pool rescue as well as surf. And that those were the things, those teams um, I was captain of for a few years that I really, really enjoyed that being part of you know, the Australian team going to a world title against these other countries, even though there was pool rescue and some events that, you know, most people in surf life having aren't 
quite um, knowledgeable about. Over in Europe, these events are taken really, really seriously and there's some quality athletes. So um, going to the world titles for Australia was, you know, a, one of the pinnacles of my career and, and winning, um, you know, world Ironman titles obviously was, um, you know, a big, big thing. But most people in the sport would rather win an Australian Ironman title in that it's more traditional and there's probably more depth of competition. But I wouldn't, wouldn't give back any of the world ones either. Yeah, for sure. I think any, I think, um, I guess talking to sponsors and that type of thing who aren't part of the sport, it's always good to say that you're a world champion and, and having six of those is always pretty handy to, to sort of throw out there when you're, when you're having conversations. But so now coming away from surf life saving, um, what, what is like, what is your life approach now? Like, what are you doing that's different? I know you were coaching for a little bit. Um, now you're doing property development. Um, what's, what's the next sort of period look like for Shannon? Like, I know you've got two young kids, you're, married like there's all these different opportunities that are coming towards you outside your sporting career um what's 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 all life like now yeah sort of to keep fit i've um i'll just do some ski paddling so some ocean ski racing i did last year and you know i enjoyed that paddle a couple of times a week go away and do a couple of races i think that's that's something that i'll keep doing because i enjoy it um they're really good people involved and have a good time and then um professionally as you said working um you know, for a big property developer now and um, enjoying that because, you know, I've gone from the top of something back down to, to kind of at the bottom. Um, I'm learning learning my way through and, and I'm fine with that. You've got to start somewhere and, um, you know, I'm happy to, to learn and, and try and, you know, improve it in this. Um, and then family, obviously, Ellie's, Ellie's eight, Blake's four, um, Ellie's in nippers now. So most Sundays I go down there and, and help out with... Um, they're under eights and um, yeah, have a good time. So life's, life's good. Nothing's um, you know, too bad anymore. I've, I've hurt my body enough um, over the years that I, I won't be doing that too much anymore. I'm just going to be you know, enjoying myself, enjoying the Gold Coast with the family. And, and are you one of those sideline dads sort of yelling out from the sideline going, hurry up? <laughs> uh, not really, but I think I um, you know, have taken a little bit from my dad in saying that, you know, Ellie, if you you want to do it, then you know you've got to do it to an extent properly at underage. So if I if I tell you that this is how you should pop a wave, then you know maybe you should should listen and, and try it one time. <laughs> and that's and, and and how is it now? It's like would she would she listen to you in, in that type of thing, or is she better to hear it from somebody else? Because I don't know it's always like a, fa a father daughter thing or a father son thing. It's hard for them to listen. I know I never really listened to my old man because that's just <laughs> that's just what you had to do. And then you realise later on you were like. Oh, I could have just heard it from them, but you were a bit resilient. Is is that something you're finding? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Ellie's she knows it all, and she's eight, so. <laughs> but you got to let them learn too. So you give them some tips, but uh, you know, she's she's copped a few floggings out there, um, out in the surf, and she's learning and enjoying it. And, and it's I'm really, really, um, you know, grateful that my kid really enjoyed the beach too. So we get a lot of time down there and and helping them out, but um. Yeah, you got to let him learn by experience, and if she cops a few floggings, she'll be fine with that. Yeah, I'm sure she'll she'll do really well, and if she enjoys it, that's amazing. Uh, I think it's obviously cool to see your yeah, your daughter sort of being out there in in something that you love so much as well. Um, Shannon Eckstein, uh, Ironman Classic is happening again next year, and you've got that you're coming over for the Shoreham Partners Ironman Classic as well. You're having a little bit of a comeback race in a way, um, just participating over here and having a bit of fun. And I think all the kids over here in WA will really enjoy someone like yourself racing. So um, are you excited to sort of pull the togs back on and have a race? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
when it was pitched to me, it was um, about a 12-minute race similar to Aussies. And then I've heard it's got extended and it's, you know, 45-minute race with, with some soft sand running. So I'm regretting um, committing to it. But, yeah, I'll, I'll have some fun. I was going to come over for the doctor anyway and, and do that race. I had a great time over there last year. The Nipper Clinic we had was was awesome. And, um, yeah, looking forward to, to getting over there and, and being part of it this year. Yeah, and will you, uh, will you be doing some training leading into the the race week or are you going to be competitive? Are you going to fire up or are you just going to go over there and have a bit of fun? Um, for the for the doctor, I, I think I finished ninth last year. So anything better than that will be, be good. Um, the Ironman race, who knows? Um, I'll get out there and, and have a go. But I said to the boys that would G me out like the Matt Pools. And I said, if you see me at the pool before the race and you know I'm taking it seriously. So I haven't got to the pool yet, but you never know. I might get there. Yeah, there's a few months to go, but I'm sure, I'm sure you'll get there. I'm sure you won't be able to help yourself. It would be nice to sort of see you back out there and racing again. And is there any other sort of projects that you're working on going forward? Like, uh, are you working, um, are you still coaching? No, not doing too much. Um, you know, obviously family time's important. So with a full-time job now, that fell by the wayside. But I'll, I'll run the, the Sean Partner Show next on Ironman Classic again. I believe we've got a date. Um, late February, I believe. So we're working towards running that again. Um, yeah, and I'll still be part of the club. I'm part of Northcliffe. I enjoy it there. And if anyone there needs some help, I'm always always um, willing to help those guys out. And what would you say to any of the young kids out there who aspire to be like someone like yourself with so many tiles and amazing things? Like, Is there any advice you'd give to any of those young kids out there trying to be a professional Ironman or a, a very successful athlete, regardless of what sport they're doing? Yeah, I, I, there's there's no. I often get asked that at um, like nipple clinics, but there, there's no silver bullet. Um, it's just hard work upon hard work upon hard work, and listening to your coaches and absorbing things and changing the way you do things to get better. Um, and it's small gains too. And sometimes you might not think that you've worked hard for two months, and you might not think you've improved, but it might be the third month you see big improvements, or the fourth month. So you've just got to keep. Um, plugging it away um, and get small improvements and gains and you'll eventually get there but it's there's no silver bullet to say I'm going to train for eight weeks and be the world's best time man it takes time and takes effort and you've got to be prepared to make sacrifices too so yeah it's, it's not hard but it's a it's a great ride yeah it's not, I guess it's not hard but it's all about being consistent working on your weaknesses as you spoke about before and just continuing along that sort of journey and committing to the path because there's obviously a lot of different distractions and as you spoke about there's a bit of sacrifice that has to go along the way to be able to perform to to the best of your ability in all your different races but um, mate I, I really do appreciate all your time today um, I really enjoyed talking to you and um, I wish you all the best with everything you've got going on at the moment thanks baby yeah cheers mate and just to everybody out there um if you want to find out more about the boothcast please check out apple Podcasts or spotify and if you want to watch any of these back there's a whole section of boothcast on my facebook page so thanks everybody and thanks shannon again cheers